Hello, and welcome to The Chambers. I'm your host, Tony Keats, and this is a podcast about municipal issues, issues that we all need to talk about. In this episode, I will have a chat with the one and only Rob Greenwood. Dr. Rob Greenwood is the Harris Center Director and the Associate Vice President of Public Engagement and External Relations at Memorial University of Newfoundland. He is no stranger to the various municipal issues and the stats that we all need to pay attention to. Rob and I will chat about various issues and what kind of work they do at the Harris Center in regards to all of our communities. So sit back and enjoy our conversation on the Chambers. Hello, Rob, and welcome to the Chambers. Hi, Tony. Great to be here. Uh, Before we get started, Rob, Let's talk about who the real Rob Greenwood is. So do you want to tell me about yourself? That's a scary concept. <laughs> I, uh, I often say I'm a typical Newfoundlander of my generation. I was born in Toronto. And as we know, many Newfoundlanders over the years late, right, recently have been born in Alberta and Fort Mac and God knows where else. So my well, mom was from Newfoundland, from St. John's. Mm-hmm. But she was the youngest of 10. Uh, and her siblings, the, the first was born in the U.S., which back in that day, my grandparents, uh, one from Old Perlican, one from Carboneer, met in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Oh, wow. The Boston States. Yeah. And got married, had their first child there, came back home on the Kyle, uh, which is in Harbor Grace there now. Sure. And... Uh, then they had uh, eight children in Old Perlican. And my grandfather, Will Joe Bercy, was very entrepreneurial. And he started up Fort Amherst Foods, uh, moved into St. John's. Uh, they had a property on the south side of St. John's Harbor. He opened a fish plant in uh, Kitty Vitty Village. They had a, a cod liver oil factory in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips. And uh, so, you know, my mom, being the youngest of that clan, born in St. John's. She met a Canadian sailor from Toronto, my dad, and they moved back to Toronto where I was born. We lived in Richmond Hill, just north of Toronto. Sure, yeah. But they got sick of the rat race when I was about seven years old and moved back to Newfoundland, lived in the family home with my grandparents for seven years on Freshwater Road. And uh, as a result of that, you know, I really got to know all the aunts and uncles and all their kids. uh, Sure. I have over a hundred first cousins and uh, lots of second cousins now and so on. And being from a commuter community north of Toronto, coming here when I was seven, getting to know that clan, going out to a Perlican. And then we moved to uh, Kellegrews when I was in grade eight. And it was still pretty rural back then. And uh, that was a great experience living in, in Kellegrews and get to know all the, the families there. Uh, and uh, my wife I met when I was in uh, working on the rigs, actually. I, I was going to university for three years and then uh, went to work on the oil rigs for a couple of years. And my wife is from Millertown mm. uh, in on what's called Beothic Lake now. Sure. And she, of course, not from anywhere near the ocean. No. And they were a family that worked in the woods. And I've been going in there for, we've been married 35 years. Yes, boy. So uh, I, I feel like, and as you know, 
the work I've done after I went through university, I worked with Doug House and the Economic Recovery Commission. I led the process to set up the economic zones in Newfoundland. Yeah. And through that process, I traveled all over the island in Labrador, got to meet people in municipal government, rural development associations, indigenous communities, you name it. Uh, but I, uh, I was in the provincial government and feeling like I wasn't being promoted as fast as I should at that stage of my career. And I've always been someone who spoke truth to power. Mm -hmm. And so I saw an ad in the Globe and Mail for uh, a lead for the provincial economic strategy in Saskatchewan. Went out there as assistant deputy minister, policy and economic development. That was in... Uh, what 1999 and uh, but like every newfoundlander who goes away i wanted to get back to come back yeah and when i learned about the harris center being created at memorial sure. i uh, i saw that as the perfect job oh. for me because mm -hmm. i i have a phd i studied rural and regional development but i never i'm too hyper to be full-time scholar you really got to <laughs> focus on one area sure and so i always saw myself as someone who could bridge between the university and the community and government and industry. So I've been at that now 18 years. And uh, the last president of the university, Gary Kachinowski, uh, was a big supporter of the kind of work we did in the Harris Center, but he wanted it to be even broader and asked me to head up a new office of public engagement while continuing at the Harris Center. Yes. And so uh, over the last, gosh, 12 or 13 years, I've took on a whole bunch more responsibilities, but continue to lead the Harris Center. And so in job terms, I often joke, I don't have a job, I have a situation. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've put in the hours and I got the education, I moved around the country, but I am very, very fortunate. I, uh, I, I just turned 61. I always said I'd retire at 65. That depends on if we have grandchildren and how things are going, because sure. I really, really love my work. Uh, but outside of that, you know, uh, we go to into Millertown. I do some salmon fishing. And my wife and I, uh, she loves trout fishing. Uh, we have a, a summer place out in Lower Island Cove, which really we go to year round. Yes. And so life is good. You know, both my kids are in the province. Uh, I feel uh, it's the only place in the world I want to live. Well, that's good, Rob. Uh, Rob, uh, you know, you just talked about the Air Center. Um, you know, it was, I think the, the, the Air Center was formed back in 2004, I do believe, or around that time period. Um, what do you do at the Air Center, Rob? What, what's, what's, what's the Air Center all about? Well, as I said a little bit, you know, it's, it's a bit of a bridge between faculty, staff, and students, and the communities, and organizations, and industry of the province. And, uh, you know, MUN, as you know, we used to have the MUN Extension Service years ago mm -hmm. and uh, had an amazing impact on the province, had field workers in various regions around the province. We're all familiar with the FOGO process. Sure. And they were really modeled on the land-grant universities in the U.S., where uh, there's one university in every state that has an explicit mandate to contribute to the needs of the, the, the state. And they partner with counties and municipalities. A lot of it initially was agriculture oriented, but it broadened after that. And so Memorial's Extension Service obviously 
did a lot of leadership development, community development, work in uh, some of the fishery and aquaculture early on, tourism. Um, but in the late 80s, they, uh, they were shut down when there were budget cuts. Some parts of them continued for many years after, lifelong learning, um, although that was shut down uh, about 15 years ago now, I guess, or maybe 12, 13. Um, and so their approach really had a big impact at a time when there wasn't much capacity at the local level in this province. Mm -hmm. And you really needed field workers who were out there stirring the pot, helping support communities in, in various ways. But of course, over uh, 30 or 40 years, we got a network of rural development associations Municipalities started playing an active role in economic development. That's right. We had the uh, 15 Community Futures Committee, or 17 Community Futures Committees, mm -hmm. uh, 15 Business Development Centers. Uh, provincial government got offices all over the place. Federal government has some around the province, especially ACOA. Yeah. And so in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, some politicians in particular started to feel that there was overlap and duplication and that many of the rural development associations, of course, got labeled as the uh, 1042 stamp factories. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But of course, with our seasonal economy, there was a demand for that. And governments created the programs and they relied on the rural development associations to play that role. So it was a bit unfair. So when I finished my PhD in 91, I was asked to uh, play a role in the Task Force on Community Development. I worked at the Economic Recovery Commission with Doug House and company. And that was a great experience. And I think it really paved the way for a lot of the work that followed. And uh, the Harris Center really emerged, I think, because while we had all those organizations out there, the university no longer had a, a clear conduit to connect with the community. That's right. And so they didn't want to go back to the money extension model because there were so many existing organizations unlike there had been originally. That's right. Um, and so I was asked to start it up, figure out how to make it work. And uh, we started small. I was the only employee then got a secretary, and then uh, Mike Clare came on as, well, David Vardy initially. Yes, yeah. Because there was the Public Policy Research Center, and we decided to merge those because they had a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. And then Mike Clare and early on David Yetman, and we started to build a team to, to answer your question after a long lead-up. <laughs> the Harris Center is there to be a navigator, a broker, a facilitator. Some people think we're a think tank and we know some stuff, sure. but, but we're not there to be a think tank. The university is the think tank. Yes. Our job is to connect those thousand faculty, those close to 20,000 students. Yes. And uh, we've developed a whole bunch of ways of doing that over the 18 years. And we're, we're pretty proud of what we've achieved. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, Rob, um, by the way, congratulations on uh, on another successful uh, launch today at Vital Signs. By the way, um, I was on um, online uh, watching it today. Uh, I believe it's your 
it's the eighth report that was uh, that was put out today. Uh, vital signs, uh, Rob. What do you think uh, would be the big takeaway from this uh, this vital signs that would that came out today? Well, this one, as you know, uh, having participated today, thank you, and uh, we're really proud of it. And it's a partnership with the Community Foundation of Newfoundland Labrador, and there's vital signs reports across the country with the national community foundations. Mm -hmm. But the partnership here has really worked great. And of course, they're able to leverage the the expertise of the Harris Center. Our group, uh, the Regional Analytics Lab that Alvin Sims and Jamie Ward built. And of course, many municipalities and MNL have worked with. We really have strengths that help Vital Signs be really effective, I think, in, in our province. Sure. And this one we built on the Forecast NL series that we had over the last 18, 18 months, yeah. uh, which really focused on climate, economy, and society in Newfoundland, Labrador. And of course, we're all very aware of climate change and more sure. aware of it, it seems, every newscast. Yeah, it is, yeah. Because there's so much really direct impact. I know over the last year or two years, Rob, uh, you know, we've been talking about climate change uh, a lot. And, and I think a lot of that got to do with, you know, different weather patterns we were getting. You know, our seasons are changing a lot, um, you know, and, and it's affecting a lot of our infrastructure in our communities. And, and, and seeing today the focus of climate change in, in, in your vital signs report, uh, you know, it, it, it brought a lot of stuff to life because it, it's right. But, you know, we got to make sure that everybody understand uh, that uh, climate change affects all of us. That's exactly right. And and the beauty of the Vital Signs Report, you know, we at the Harris Center produce lots of reports with lots of scholars and lots of outside partners. And we've done a lot with MNL, as you know, over the years. Uh, the Vital Signs Report in particular is made to be really accessible. It, we partner with Saltwire, the chain the, that owns the newspapers across the province mm-hmm. these days. And it's produced as a tabloid-sized newspaper insert. It goes out to people. If they don't get the paper, it goes in the uh, with the uh, the flyers. Yeah. And so it should get to every household in the province. Mm-hmm. It's available online, and we'll send copies out to people if they want them. And it's made to be something that people can use at their kitchen table, and everybody in the family read and have a discussion. And we know municipalities use it and various non-governmental organizations, uh, provincial government, industry, federal government. Uh, we know all take advantage of what's key for us and with the Harris Center, our brand is all about integrity and independence. Yes. And so we know none of these issues are black and white. And yet so many people these days read only news from a online source they like. Oh, true. Which means he usually agrees with them. Mm -hmm. And yet to make decisions on important issues in our province and in our world, we have to have discussions with people we don't agree with. And there are trade-offs and there are compromises. And it's got to be informed by facts, as many facts as you can get. And so that's one of the key takeaways of Vital Signs and on climate change, it, it's even perhaps more the case because it's such an urgent issue, pretty much existential. And one of the takeaways is that we have a lot of the facts. Yeah. And we have many industries that 
are adapting to climate change. Some are benefiting by it. We know mining is going crazy and it is, yeah. Clean tech sector, there's enormous opportunities. Agriculture, even fishery. There's there's negative impacts and there's positive impacts. Um, but we know ultimately a lot and, and individuals, of course, can make decisions for themselves yeah. about what they eat, where they shop and how they shop and what they buy and what they drive, etc. But many of the issues are collective and that involves governments. And because so many of the issues with climate change have local impacts around local infrastructure mm-hmm. um, in particular. That municipal government is key. And yet, as we know, in our province, municipal government is relatively weak in terms of the resources available. So true. And that's a product of our history. That's right. But we know, and MNL again has done a lot of work with us and with others on this, we need to enhance capacity at the local level. And that is one of the key priorities on climate change, mm-hmm. as well as economic development and demographic change, you name the issue, there's a role for municipal government. Sure it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rob, you know, when we talk about regional, the Regional Economic Development Task Force that, you know, recently put out a report, I think it was back in September, in their final report, uh, you know, what do you believe is the key points in that report? I know they said that, you know, in some of the takeaways, and it, you know, it was a clear desire of a lot of community leaders, or it should be a clear desire of a lot of community leaders, uh, to provide a regional vision and, and especially to support regional economic development in the province. Uh, you know, when I look at uh, economic development, I want to make sure that not only my community, but other communities around me and in the province, got you know, that we're looking at a clear vision and, and making sure that we talk to each other so that we're not duplicating a lot of things that we can, you know, work together to make sure that we get things done. Uh, what do you think is, is some of the key points in that report when it came out, Rob? Well, I think that's exactly right what you said. And, uh, you know, for me, that report led by M&L and the CBDC Association, and they invited me to join the the task force steering committee and uh, the Harris Center to play a secretariat role. And Chris Patterson played a a key role in that. But then membership from M&L, CBDC is on the task force and lots of discussions, lots of consultation and really reinforcing what many of these organizations and individuals have known for years. But, you know, the landscape changes. The Red Bees were shut down. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went through COVID. That's right. Um, But it's very, very clear that in in a lot of the work the Harris Center has done in RAN Lab, the Regional Analytics Lab, the work we did on functional economic regions, people don't live their lives in their individual municipality unless they're in a very remote municipality. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of rural Newfoundlanders and Labradorians uh, live within reach of a larger municipality. And the vast majority of small municipalities are in within reach of a larger municipality. And it's those regions that people live their lives in. Their kids get on a school bus and go to a neighboring community. That's right. Uh, you get in your car most of the time and drive to a neighboring community for work. That's right. You might shop in a different one. You go to a hockey rink in a different one. And again, there are some remote communities that aren't like this, but the vast majority are. And yet our municipal structure, based on our history, has individual dot on the map with its own council, 
Mm -hmm. Or, as you know, in in many locations, no council at all. That's so true. Uh, In unincorporated communities. And then you have local service districts with quite limited capacity. And we have this amazing Newfoundland and Labrador resilience and sense of independence and, you know, the vast majority of real Newfoundlanders, Labradorians cut their firewood, have a wood stove, uh, got moose in the freezer and cod mm-hmm. in the freezer. And it's not just provisioning. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle. Right. We love it. Mm-hmm. And I think that independence has affected our thinking about government. And, you know, we've had low property taxes historically. And again, little urban or rural planning. And then if you go in unincorporated areas, none. And there's a pride of that in that independence. But if you look at the vast majority of communities and regions in this province and the demographics and the economic history, it's not working. No. And, you know, a lot of individuals, and we know what the average age in many rural communities, and I'm 61 and I, you know, I'm the tail end of the baby boom. Mm-hmm. I'm approaching retirement. Many younger than me are already retired. And certainly most older than me are. Um, and they just, as individuals, want to be left alone to live their lives. And I think that's totally reasonable and understandable. But if you are a leader in your community or in your region, on a school board or a, uh, a municipal council or any one of the many, many, many voluntary organizations out there. This is about civics. This is about how citizens govern themselves in a democracy. And, you know, we, I think, have been very fortunate in our province and country since World War II. We've had a few economic ups and downs, but you look at what's going on in the Ukraine and in many places around the world. People fight and sacrifice their lives for democracy. We've had it so easy for so long, relatively speaking. I think we take it for granted. We do. And so I think that regional approach, when you look at the demographics and when Mm -hmm. you look at the reality of our economies and our services, Form should follow function. So what are we trying to achieve with the decision-making around planning and economic development Mm -hmm. and labor market development and infrastructure planning? It's all got to get done. That's right. But it makes sense to do it at a regional level. So why the hell don't we have some regional governance mechanisms to do it? It, It's crazy. I know, I agree. Like, we, you know, we've been kicking this around a long time. And I know, Rob, you know, you and, and Keith Story and Alvin Sims and Jamie Ward, like you said earlier, uh, you know, been working and doing a lot of work when it comes to, you know, our population uh, projections, uh, you know, what's going to happen in, in, in 20 years, in 30 years. Uh, you know, what's the resettlement questions? You know, is rural Newfoundland and Labrador, Rob, are, you know, are they going to survive? Are, you know, do they need to be saved or do they want to be saved? And I think that's a lot of the questions that, you know, been asked and, and that we're still asking. And and we know that, you know, the provincial government, uh, you know, just came out and, 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 and accepted a report that was done recently, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the uh, regional government aspects. 
so, you know, where are we? Is, is it, is it going to move forward? Uh, do we need to move forward? I, I believe it do. Uh, like you said, you know, we got a, a, a lot of communities here with a very low population who really don't have any, any kind of uh, resources, like, you know, a, a means to help themselves or, or, you know, uh, and, but acting within such regions can, can bring a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, good to their communities. Yep. And I am very optimistic about Newfoundland and Labrador and rural Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, we have amazing resources. Compared to most of the world, we have amazing infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And we have, as, as much as we need, and we always complain about our democracy, again, compared to most of the world, we have a, 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 a really well-functioning democracy. Uh, but I think we need much stronger local government and in particular regional government uh, because that is where these issues reside and i think our provincial government understands that uh, Mm -hmm. as you say the the work they did with mnl and the uh, municipal administrators association i think it was it was yeah really on the money for let's come up with some appropriate ways to move this forward it uh, i personally don't think and we know from experience in this province top-down amalgamation isn't the answer no it's not so it's not where in my view where we have functioning municipalities with contested elections and uh, councils and staff getting the job done we don't screw with that no but we enable them to collaborate with the smaller municipalities, which are often don't have contested elections. And it's only going to get worse as people get older. You know, it's inevitable. That's true. We're not seeing the population growth in the rural areas. And in the short to medium term, with all the evidence I've seen, that's not going to change. No. Uh, Medium to long term, there's a lot of, expectation that there's going to be climate refugees Mm. we can see an uptick in uh, immigration in our province Mm -hmm. with the ukrainian crisis and with the pandemic with a better job being done by the provincial government i think so true yeah but the vast majority of that is staying in the saint john's region and and in a few other urban centers some go to rural but Mm -hmm. we also even in saint john's have a big challenge with retention yeah, uh, many of these folks come here for a couple of years and then they're off to Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal. Yeah. So we got to do more and more and more of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think in in 2021, I think we had something like there was there was I'm thinking it was nine thousand people or ten thousand people fewer calling Newfoundland and Labrador home at the time. And and you know the province, I think our province was probably the only province in Canada that was declining that year in population. Well, that's, that's a product, as we know, of many years of out-migration mm-hmm. and then out-migration from rural to urban. The big factor, as we've talked about many times, is dropping fertility rates. Exactly. Uh, and that's a worldwide phenomenon. As women get more education, they have fewer kids. Yeah. And we got an aging population, right? So it's just absolutely. And yeah. so the people who are living in those rural communities, and the stats are really clear, uh, with very few exceptions, are it's it's more and more a, an older population, and 
as individuals, I understand that they've got their house and they got their way of life. Uh, but as community leaders planning for future opportunity, it's essential to look at what is the infrastructure we need? Where are we going to get the labor market? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are we going to cooperate with neighboring communities to have the scale necessary for yeah. an employer to get the, the workers they need? Yeah. Uh, we have viable businesses all over the province shutting their doors now because mm-hmm. they can't get enough employees. Yeah, I mean, everywhere you go, you can almost, you know, you can almost see a sign in the window looking for employees, employees, employer, right? Yep. Yeah. Do you think, Rob, that immigration will will play a bigger part or, or a key part in 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 those numbers? I think it's going to help mitigate the problem, but it's not going to solve the problem. Sure. Because when you look at the scale of the demographic aging and the fact that we're not having kids near in the numbers we used to, even those people of childbearing age are not having, you know, my mom was young as of 10. Uh, I was one of two kids. I got two kids married now and they might have kids, but we all know many don't. That's right. That's right. And so how do you maintain your, your population without immigration? Mm Mm-hmm. But we are in the same situation as every other of the Western countries with those fertility rates. Yeah. So the competition for immigration is ramping up. It is. And giant countries like China are now topping out in the next decade or so on their population. So I believe we have to do everything we can to be family friendly and to attract immigrants. But I think even more important is we need to be innovative and enhance our productivity, doing more with less. Because we do have an amazing marine resource with our fishery and aquaculture. We have amazing forestry resource. We have an unbelievable mining resource. We have loads of technology firms in St. John's area, largely because of graduates from Memorial is bursting at the seams. They, they can't hire enough tech workers. Mm. And so we're not lacking in opportunity. And now we hear loads more opportunities around energy. And, you know, yeah. we hear about hydrogen and wind. That's right. What we need is the governance capacity to figure out this stuff sure. and manage it for our communities. Yeah. Yeah, and Rob, you know, in, in, in that joint working group uh, on regional government with, you know, MNL, like you said, in the government and uh, the problems in Newfoundland and the PMA Association, you know, there were a lot of recommendations within that. Do you think, do you think there's, there's an appetite in Newfoundland uh, to go ahead for this? Or do you think, uh, you know, is, is, is government uh, all in? Or do you think, you know, a lot of towns look at it as losing their identity or, or fearing a tax raise? You know, because I know that's been brought up a few times too, right? Yeah, I I think it's all of the above. And I, as I say, I think many individuals in their communities, close to retirement or retired, don't want change. And and I don't blame them. That's right. But I think M&L and municipal incorporated municipalities around the province are doing their best to deal with the climate change issues, to deal with the labor market issues, to deal with the infrastructure issues with fewer people available to serve on council and not enough resources for staff. Mm -hmm. Um, If people think they're going to be able to stay in their communities 
and not have functioning regional government connecting the dots between the neighboring municipalities, they're like an ostrich with their head in the sand. Okay. And, and you know, this may sound, uh, I don't know, inflammatory or something, but it's almost like people are saying, leave me alone till I die. And yeah. then, you, then you can worry about it. Yeah. Well, our government leaders in a, in a democracy are elected to think about the long term of our communities, not just about the needs of your own household. And I think MNL has really stepped up to the plate over the last 20 years mm. on these issues. Sure. I think the municipal or the provincial government, and it doesn't matter which party, are responding to the electorate. And as I say, many individuals don't want any change. Uh, you're right. They fear increased taxes. But, you know, our provincial government provides many, many services, as you well know, right. that are provided by local government in other provinces. And so it's not about new taxes for new services. No. It's about reallocating provincial government resources yeah. with responsibilities. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, for areas that don't have taxes like local service districts or relatively small taxes or unincorporated communities um they say well we don't get any services why should we be taxed well let's do a really rational uh audit on what services you do and don't get and who's who's paying for them exactly and a lot of them are being done by the province and they say well i'm a provincial taxpayer yeah you are but people in incorporated municipalities are also paying municipal taxes. And so I think we need to see leadership. When you talk about identity and loving your community, and mm. we all do. That's right. Um, how's it going for you? If you look out 10, 15, 20 years, how's it been going the last 10, 15, 20 years? Do you have a growing population? Every house that comes up for sale, depending on the area, might get sold, mm -hmm. but it's a summer home. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it's not adding to the numbers. It's just keeping the numbers as they are. Yep, if, if you're right. lucky. If you're lucky, exactly. If you're lucky. To, you so know, that, to me, is not success. No, no, because, you know, we're, we're at a point, I know we've been at a point where, you know, we had more debts than we had births. And, and, and that's where immigration came in. And that's where our initiatives, you know, would come in. Uh, making sure that, you know, we got the demographics here that, that, that we need to make sure that our communities are surviving, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think another factor we need to think about as we, and this is an issue for the world, is with fertility rates dropping, we used to equate development with population growth. And there are still some communities, some regions with population growth. Yeah. But many, many successful jurisdictions on Earth we often look at Little Iceland as an amazing example, but Norway is the same and many other places. Mm -hmm. They get, might get some population growth through immigration. But again, I just did a workshop with a bunch of Norwegians. Rural areas are seeing the same population decline. But if they're adopting new technologies and if they're taking a, a regional approach to governance, you can have a high quality of life a dynamic economy, happy people mm. with a smaller population than you used to have. Yeah. 
Uh, and that is the way of the future. Uh, you can run, but you can't hide. No, that's true. That's true. You know, I've always said that, you know, we need these hard conversations and, and, and we need to, you know, get our heads out of the clouds and we need to make sure that, you know, this is not just black and white discussions. This is, this is discussions that we need to talk about and we need to talk about them openly. Yep. Totally. Right? Totally. Yeah. So Rob, before I let you go, uh, you know, um, I know we, we talked a lot about, you know, the uh, regional governments. We talked about the uh, Air Center and, and other initiatives and stuff that, you know, has been going on. Uh, Rob, what, what's, if you had to tell me one thing or two things, uh, what truly do you enjoy about your job, Rob? Oh, I enjoy, well, you know, I just, uh, it, with the pandemic, of course, we were all hemmed in. So I, uh, a few weeks ago, hit the road for the first time in two and a half years, I guess. And I had to attend a workshop over in Norris Point. And then there was a, we're working on an initiative for community hubs around the province and happy to talk about more about that down the road. Sure. And uh, I needed to go out and visit some of the, the hubs and meet with some people who were involved in Forecast NL. So drove up the Northern Peninsula, met with people in St. Anthony, crossed to Forteau, Port Hope Simpson, Cartwright, have Valley Goose Bay, Lab City. Back through Quebec, I had a meeting at the University of Quebec at Ramouski, which is an Oceans University also, yeah. and into Port of Basque, St. George's, Cornerbrook, back home. Then the next weekend, I was out to Fogo Island. And that's what I love about my job, not being away from home. Oh. Although, you know, my wife's retired now, so the odd time she might be able to come with me now. Yes. But going around the province, talking to people who are working in their communities, in the private sector, in the public sector, as volunteers who are putting their money where their mouth is, you know, trying to make things work, learning what is working, but then also identifying where there's things the university can play a role. And my job really is to be the bridge, as I say. Uh, sometimes I say my job is to be a nag. <laughs> because in project management, as we all know, it's one thing to identify something you're going to try to achieve, but you got to stay on it. That's right. And I think the Harris Center is really good at that. We have a, an amazing team and uh, we then connect around the university. Our Grenfell campus is doing lots of great work in this area. We've got the new Labrador campus doing great stuff. The Marine Institute is a machine that just connects all over the place. And then we have all those faculties that have ideas and research and students. And so connecting them with opportunities, every day is different. Every opportunity is exciting. You bang your head against the wall, like every job. Sure. But you also break through a lot. And yeah. it gives you a great, like today with Vital Signs. You know, we worked on that, on the Forecast NL project for the year and a half. But, you know, there's been lots of good stuff along the way. But when you have all the media showing up and they're making sure the, the population at large gets these messages, yeah, you know you're making a difference and there's nothing more fulfilling. Yeah. And what I like about, you know, when you're talking about vital signs and, you know, I've, I've, I've added every issue, I've read every issue. And, 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 it, and, and when I talk to other people about vital signs and, and adding that tangible piece of paper in your hands with the information on it 
And it's layman terms information, Rob. It's, it's, it's not scholar information. It's, it's layman's terms so everybody can, can understand what's there and they can read it for themselves. That's exactly right. And really, that's central to a functioning democracy. Exactly. And a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. And universities are getting better at that. Uh, I like to believe the Harris Center, it is recognized as a leader in the world. Yeah. Uh, the OECD has uh, done write-ups about the Harris Center and public engagement at Memorial more generally. And partly it's because we're the only university in the province and people expect us yeah. to make a con- And it's in our original act to contribute to the social and economic development of the province. Yeah. But it doesn't just happen. No. It takes a lot of planning, energy. Yeah. We leverage funding from multiple sources. But the university also provides core support so uh, we're, we're very fortunate. Uh, you know, I've got staff who've been in the Harris Center 10, 12 years, and I've been there 18. And with the labor market the way it is, these people could find jobs elsewhere. That's so true. Yeah. But they're there because they believe in it. And uh, we love working with municipalities around the province. Mm-hmm. And people like yourself, I, I think it's a fantastic uh, service you're providing with this podcast. Mm-hmm. So delighted to be asked to be part of it and happy no, to help any way I can down the road. No, I, I thank you for coming on. And, 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 you know, I just had a podcast recently at the uh, Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador conference in Gander, and it was a, uh, a, a municipal circle with three other uh, municipal communities uh, from around the province of various sizes. And we talked about, you know, the issues that affect us and, and, a lot of it, Rob, they don't affect us differently. They, you know, it's pretty sane. It's just that it's on a different scale sometimes. Uh, and the podcast was wonderful and it was wonderful received. And, and, and Rob, when you mentioned it just a minute ago, maybe, you know, we can do some kind of podcast or, or some kind of uh, get together with other uh, uh, people from, from that field, from your field, yep. and sit down and add that uh, very, you know, open discussion on, on where we are and where we need to be. Uh, uh, you know, as a province, because the Air Center, in my in my uh, view, is is a is a group that really uh, is tangible. It does stuff for the community. It, it's there to back us up, and and uh, and and we got to use the Air Center. We got to use the skills and 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 like you said, the students and the people that that's at the university at our advantage. Uh, and 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 that's what it's for. No, absolutely, and I'd love to. Uh... If you want to follow up, we can put together something with uh, some colleagues and uh, make this a, a repeat performance. Right on. So anyway, Rob, I'll let you go. Uh, I thank you once again for coming on to Chambers. Uh, and I appreciate uh, your, your, your views tonight. And once again, congratulations on another uh, great, successful launch of Vodosons. Can't thank you enough. And it was a real pleasure. Uh, all the best and have a lovely holiday. Uh, it's coming up on us. It, it, it's, it won't be here. It, it, it goes fast, I must say. It comes up fast, too, eh? That's for sure. Right on. Thanks, Rob. Okay. Pleasure. Okay. Have a good one, sir. You, too. Bye-bye. Okay. And that was my conversation with Dr. Rob Greenwood from the Munns Ara Center. If you would like to add more information on this chat, please visit munn.ca. The Air Center. I would like to thank Rob for coming on to the Chambers with me for this episode. So, for the Chambers, I'm your host, Tony Keats, and thanks for listening, and until we chat again, have a great one.